We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hello, and welcome to Yule Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Never met this woman in my life. <laughs> she pulled me in here against my will. <laughs> What's the hand sign? Danger. Danger. Sorry, you like that. Don't, the- don't actually do it. <laughs> Is that the danger one, though? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not actually in danger. <laughs> I love how John joins right as I do, like, the danger hand sign. We're fine, John. We're fine. It's okay. We're fine. Don't worry. Hi. It's all good. <laughs> this is a shit show. All right. This is literally the first time we've recorded next to each other in, yeah. like, three years. The only time we ever have is when we did the, the documentary. Yes. When we did the documentary, that mm-hmm. was someone did a documentary on us. She was so nice, but I still don't understand. <laughs> oh man, Taylor! Taylor's the best. Taylor, you're the best. Mm-hmm. Chef's kiss. Yeah. I hope she aced that assignment. She, if she didn't, I'm gonna write a very strongly worded letter. Same. <laughs> Be like, I know she already graduated, but I really hope you gave her <laughs> right. an A on that assignment. Right. So. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby, or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. Okay, do you want to go first or do you want me to? Oh my god. Because you made a story this week. I did a story, everybody. I know how to read and write. Hi. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about when coffee was illegal in Istanbul. What? Yeah. Yeah. I'm here for it. I know. Were you surprised? Yes. Good, because I picked like four different stories. <laughs> and I kept doing like two sources and I was like, bored. <laughs> I change it. So I don't know how you do it every week. I changed mine <laughs> once for this week because I was like, I don't want to go too long because yeah. it's an hour, you know. Mm-hmm. But yes, I have been there. I have literally written an entire episode. It was about Catherine de Medici. Medici. Yep. Yep. It was so fucking boring, you guys. Mm-hmm. I couldn't finish it. I literally, like, I wrote the entire thing and I skimmed mm-hmm. it and I was like, nope, this is never going to happen. And then I, like, tossed it yep. and recorded and, like, wrote something new <laughs> in, that. like, five hours before we recorded. You were like, I'm almost done. You were like, JK, I wrote something different. <laughs> JK, this is the most boring thing I've ever read when written in my entire life. I can't do this. 
No. So, yeah. Yeah, so my uh, sources came from an article from Atlas Obscura by Mark Hay, an article from The Salt from NPR mm-hmm. by Adam Cole, a Tasting Table article by Lauren Rothman, and Wikipedia. All links to these articles will be included in the show notes, and I actually gave her the links so you can actually <laughs> see my sources and know that not all of this is made up unless <laughs> history did it first, <laughs> which case, not my fault. It's all a ruse. So after some good old back and forth, I wanted to share the story that our favorite bean juice used to be a symbol of social decay and anarchy in the Ottoman Empire in the 16th to 18th centuries nice i love bean juice was the anarchist drink of choice i know i put in bean juice and i was like ah, should i stop it just keep it in just okay. keep it in okay now don't pro- question yourself <laughs> i do it all the time <laughs> now you're probably thinking how could this be how could a warm caramelly cup of coffee be the symbol of first civil unrest when surrounded by delicate pastries and lo-fi music let's back up a little bit okay let's go there in the mid-16th century, the Ottoman coffee houses started to crop up all over the empire as places for, for all walks of life, regardless of class, wealth, or political affiliation, to come together under one roof. So it didn't matter if you were like a poor servant or like a high political official, you were all able to go in and get a cup of coffee. Get a cup of bean juice, nice. No. <laughs> It became commonplace for all people to discuss hot topics of the day, becoming a key place for political spies to get a heartbeat on what the general population was doing on a day-to-day basis. Those dirty bastards. I mean... You do what you need to do for a cup of of gel. Spies gonna spy. Spies gonna spy. Mm -hmm. Starting in Arabia, to Persia, Egypt, and then to the Ottoman Empire, and eventually European nations... The first coffee house in the Ottoman Empire was established in 1555 by two merchants from Damascus. Mm. As they picked up in popularity, coffee houses expanded their menus, including sweet treats and other beverages, to diversify their clientele. At the time, socializing was reserved primarily in shops, the mosque, and at home. So this new venue was super exciting, Mm -hmm. and it was so popular that it went from one coffee house to 2,500 in Istanbul alone by the end of the 19th century. Holy shit. So it was one coffee house per six shops. Damn, yeah, yield so, Starbucks. So talk about like oh. one on every block. Damn, It was one son. on every block. Mm-hmm. That's how you made money, man. Yeah, yeah. Being an anarchist. Being an anarchist <laughs> with, from, with coffee beans from Ethiopia. Who yeah. Knew? So primarily masculine spaces, it was often touted in a space for men to work, learn, and be free of sin because women weren't allowed in. Okay, I take it back. Fuck you. (laughs) Protestants visiting the Ottoman Empire lauded the practice and thought it was a great alternative to alcohol and loved the fact that women and children were typically banned from the spaces. (laughs) God. Gil Brobux. God. Yeah. And they they had like candy and stuff and like we... You weren't allowed to have the candy. You know. It's because of our damn uteruses. I know. You bleed. You bleed all over the floor like an animal. I just want some of that coffee. <laughs> I heard you have pastries. So awesome. As the coffee houses grew, they became known as penny universities. 
allowing poor or and illiterate men to sit down and listen and learn from more educated men of the time. From eavesdropping on conversations to public readings and discussions of popular news, this new outlet gave people too poor to afford a newspaper the ability to stay up to date on what was happening in their community and around the world. Is this like beatnik poetry night, but for bros? Yeah. So it started as people just kind of learning from more educated people in society, just kind of figuring out what's actually going on in the empire and what's what's going on, you know, in their own town. And then it expanded. And of course, because people are people, it eventually became like a breeding ground for gossip. Of course. And they talked about the ladies a lot. So like dudes would be like, oh my God, this one woman and her ankles. I saw them. I saw them and they were. What a hooler. They were. Showing off those ankles. Delicate. Good thing she can't come in here and have some coffee with us. Right, fellas? (laughs) They were delicate and creamy. (laughs) Jesus. But yeah, they, they did they did do like impromptu performances and they would even do like puppet shows and stuff, which I thought was kind of funny. Like see a bunch of like super educated men and like super poor servants and they're they're all watching the same puppet show in a coffee shop. <laughs> like I was like, okay. <laughs> Interesting. This puppet show's great. So coffee houses in general became a place for social leveling in a time when stark inequality like master slave relationships were still happening Mm -hmm. so politics didn't like that they didn't like the fact that there was social leveling of any kind of course so with gossip comes unrest conversations devolving into rumors of political scandal war and coups not a coup janissaries elite infantrymen for the ottoman empire began meeting and creating their own secret network within the coffee houses some creating their own coffee houses and using their insignias as symbols of safe spaces to talk politics most hmm. coffee houses opposed the sultan and the ottoman government unnerving those in power and changing their views of the coffee houses as threats to society i knew it the Ottoman Empire would often have spies sit in the coffee houses to get a better understanding of how the public viewed the government. Spies weren't limited to just the coffee houses, though, and they were often deployed everywhere bathhouses, mosques, different shops, and they would deliver their findings everywhere from like your local police dude to the Sultan himself. Like, I just, when you said bathhouses, I pictured somebody like. Just like some conversation <laughs> happening, and then as you like get up to move, some guy like comes popping out of the water, and he's got like a, he's got a little straw, <laughs> some some bamboo shoot or yeah. something like that that he's using as a straw. Um, he's just like, I got him. He's <laughs> he like, gets out and gets some reports. He goes to the bath and He's like, Thank you. That was very soothing. This was, was the best. This was the best uh, bath I've ever had. You're right. The mud, the mud treatment really helped. Thank I you. Did, I did. I did. You can have this read back. Your country thanks you. <laughs> the mud bath. Your emperor thanks you. Mm-hmm. Despite authorities uh, attempting to ban, burn, and tear down coffee houses they thought were threats, none quite compared to the harsh crackdown by Sultan Murad the Fourth. Mm-hmm. Was he mer mermad? <laughs> that uh, was a horrible pun. I'm I am sorry. He's insane. But before before <sighs> we like before we do it. The first known recording of, the, of an attack on coffee c- consumption was in 1511 in Mecca, where men caught drinking coffee outside a mosque looked suspicious. 
So uh, obviously they haven't seen John Ralphio before. Right. So a secular official pre-Ottoman Empire, he used religion as an excuse to ban the sale of distribution of coffee. Cairo, Istanbul and other Ottoman countries tried countless times to ban the sale of coffee ever since using both religious and political excuses to justify the bans. These bans were always short-lived, however, because too many people love to consume coffee, including political figures. Like, they would quite literally, like, they had their own coffee boy in, like, the judge space, and, like, all of them drank it. They all drank it, and they were like, but, like, you can't, because, I mean, you can't drink it. You can't. Are you a woman? I can drink it gross get that out of your face you don't deserve ca- slap don't deserve it out of her hands feed. how no, dare you no beans for you but sultan Murad the fourth believed that coffee was mind-altering with coffee houses creating dangerous new social norms he primarily hated it though because his brother osman the second was brutally murdered by the janissaries that would meet in the coffee houses to plot his death Oh, I okay. I can I can kind of see that. And not even a year later, they also killed his uncle, which made him a child ruler. Oh, yeah. And so then he uh, there were also uh, several attempts on his own life while he was growing up because of the coffee houses. Was he upset because he couldn't go in a coffee house because he was a child? And Maybe. that's part of why he was so it mad. It might be part of it, too. I can't get close. <laughs> I'm a child. Why'd you guys murder my brother <laughs> and my uncle? Now I can never get coffee. Mm, ah. I hate it. <laughs> it smells gross. But that was pretty much the primary reason why he hated it so much was, you know, murder. It was, a, it was a safe house for the people that kept killing his family. So. I get it. When he was older. He imposed a death penalty for public coffee drinking, along with the public consumption of tobacco and opium. He would often kill the people himself, disguising himself as a regular countryman with a hundred pound broadsword. Okay, Cloud. Like... And he would kill them by decapitating them in the street. How how heavy was the broadsword? A hundred pounds. How did the dude lift up he the sword? Was yoked. He was so huge. He was like, there's, swole. There's there's so many <laughs> so pictures swole. of him. He's he was huge. And like like the mountain huge? You know, he like trained his entire life to just murder people for coffee. He like, had he had a montage. He, he definitely had a montage. He had like a kill bill style coming up. That's what he did. So casual. It got more intense. When he was able to kill people himself, he'd start murdering for minor infractions and including his own soldiers. He murdered his own soldiers. And uh, he never fully banned coffee, still drinking it himself. But uh, of he only allowed it to be consumed at home. So because he consumed it at home, oh. that that was okay. So one of the other things he did in the end was he... If he had a bad night, he would just be butt naked with his broadsword, killing anyone in sight, smoking. As as one does. <laughs> he would go to opium dens and just murder a bunch of people. Like, so... Can you picture? You're, like, laid out in an opium den. You just had, like... Just high out of your mind. Some choice opium. I don't know what it's called when you get, 
choice pu- opium but the like purest of poppies the purest of the poppies and you look up and there's some giant naked dude with a giant sword and just ready to cut your head off and he's just like what's up and then he just comes in and just starts swinging and you're like mm-hmm. what <laughs> oh no what? are my legs running <laughs> i feel like i'm running Hopefully I'm running. I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience. Nope, I was just decapitated. It's fine. Yep. Yep. That's uh, what he did. So um, it took about a decade after his death for them to be a little more lenient. But the sultan after him was like, you know, you get caught drinking coffee in public, we're going to beat you up. And then if you get caught drinking again in public, we're going to throw you in a pit. And then if you get caught for a third time, we're going to kill you. So that was kind of the thing. There was always kind of a general consensus that coffee was too clearing of the mind as opposed to alcohol. So lots of politicians kind of everywhere wanted to ban it, including when it started going getting popular in Europe. Some European physicians claimed that consuming too much coffee would dry up all of your cerebrospinal fluid. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So like straight death. So you would just like achieve enlightenment and then just... And then essentially dehydrate, I guess. I don't know. All of your cerebral spinal fluid's gone. (laughs) Cholera of the spine. (laughs) Kind of crazy. (laughs) But fun fact, if you have uh, traumatic brain injuries and you have cerebral spinal leaks, caffeine actually helps prevent them. The more you know. Yeah. So they were very wrong when it came to that. So despite... His brutal punishments in 1633, Sultan Murad IV, his laws only further further fueled the consumption of coffee, eventually dulling the shouts of protest from religious and political groups alike. While we still have similar conversations in coffee houses today, your phone is probably a better spy than your barista. So go ahead and get that cold brew. I will. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. That's it. Good job. Thanks. I'm so proud of you. I know. I'll never do it again. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And we're done forever. This was my last episode. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you ever. (laughs) So... My topic. Yeah. Because I decided it'd be super smart and cool of me to do a story that's from a different language <laughs> for our live show, because that's that was how a, I work. That was a part of the reason why I switched one of them. I was like, I can't say that word. Next topic. <laughs> My mouth doesn't do that. <laughs> well, I did it anyway. So yeah. we will see how great I am with my German pronunciation this time, because I will be telling you about Strovelpeter or shock-headed Peter. Did he get struck by lightning? It's going to be so much worse than that. Great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Is it as <clears throat> bad as a naked man decapitating you for drinking coffee? Not that bad. Okay. Okay. Good. 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 That's that's pretty bad. It's pretty bad, <laughs> especially because it took it takes like twenty minutes for you to get that coffee. So you waited 20 minutes, and then you have to, like, sip it because it's so hot. And then the second you take your first sip, it's your last. (laughs) 
You didn't even get to enjoy it. <laughs> okay. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2019 Atlas Obscura article by Eric Grunthauser. 2017 Atlas Obscura article by Sarah Lasko. Genie.com. Two Project Gutenberg sites. And nice. two Wikipedia links. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Nice. Move over, Grimm Brothers. There's a new collection of horrifying children's stories in town. Great. Your favorite. Love it. In 1845, Stroh was released to the German public and was a collection of six short illustrated stories. Okay. If you want just a teaser, here's the tale of our uh, titular character. Okay. Quote, just look at him. There he stands with his nasty hair and hands. See, his nails are never cut. They are grimed as black as soot. And the sloven, I declare, never once has combed his hair. Anything to me is sweeter than to see shock-headed Peter. End quote. Okay, we shame somebody for not showering. None of them showered at the time. So that's just straight up bullying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Prior to the book being named Strovelpeter, It was titled something much longer and very boring, which I will read the English translation of instead of the German, because it's long and hard, and I don't hate myself that much. Good. Good for you. You're Lindsay. You're Lindsay. The original proposed title was, quote, Funny Stories and Droll Pictures with 15 Color Plate for Children Ages 3 to 6, end quote. It's believed that the stories were inspired not only by tales told to the author's own children, but also to his young patients. With that thought in mind, let's talk about Heinrich Hoffmann, and I will dive into his history a little before I share with you the rest of his stories. Okay. So he he had patients, so this was... This was an adult man. With, like a doctor. A doctor. You're right. But what kind of doctor? Not a good one. <laughs> well, no, it sucked. <laughs> okay. Heinrich was born in Frankfurt on Main on June 13, 1809, to parents Philip Jakob Hoffmann and Marianne Caroline Lauseberg. His mother passed barely a year after his birth, with oh. his father going on to remarry a woman named Antoinette Lauseberg. Ooh. I have no idea if they were related. Mm. But knowing the history of how things tend to go, yeah. it's entirely possible she was a sister. Or like a distant cousin. Maybe. Something. Yeah. Cousin. Yeah. Growing up, he was a bit lazy and had a hard time focusing in school, but would later on become a model student once his strict disciplinarian father was through with him. Great. Yay, beatings. That never happened. No. Mm-mm. Heinrich went to university in Heidelberg and was quite the social butterfly, which hindered his studies a bit. As a result, he moved to Halle, where he studied medical practice under Professor Peter Krukenberg. His professor ran a charity clinic, and Heinrich's first real practical experience with medicine was when he assisted with the cholera outbreak. Gross. Our favorite. Did Okay, Did we, sh- we shared that already, right? Yeah, it, that was last week's, yeah. No. No, thank you. Yeah. Why didn't he die then? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he should have died then. God. <laughs> this whole thing could have been prevented. 
<laughs> Upon getting his medical degree, Heinrich spent a year in Paris furthering his surgical studies, only returning home upon word that his father had become ill. Uh-oh. He is a doctor. He should go save his dad. I don't know if he actually did, though. Really? I mean, he's a surgeon. What's he going to do? Murder him? I mean, he could have. Yeah. I don't know. Heinrich married a woman named Therese Donner, who was nine years his junior. Go, go, Typical. Heinrich. Yeah. And the pair had three children together. Carl Philip in 1841, Carolina Anto- Antonia in 1844, and Eduard in 1848. He drew them. No middle name. He didn't. He didn't get. He didn't deserve one. He didn't get a middle name. I felt so bad. I was like, should I include the other middle names? I'm going to, but I feel bad that he was and not cool enough. Ed. <laughs> and that the other one, you know, Eduard, the last one. <laughs> He drew them comics to entertain them, which was his first unofficial foray into storytelling. Got it. Okay. According to the brief description in the book, Strovelpeter, it came about in the winter of 1844 when Carl was three, and Heinrich intended it as a way to instruct his children on what was right and wrong with a collection of moral tales that would be easy for a small child to understand, such as the story of Flying Robert. This one is amazing. Okay. Quote, When the rain comes tumbling down, in the country or the town, all good little girls and boys stay at home and mind their toys. Robert thought, No, when it pours, it is better to be out of doors. Rain it did, and in a minute, Bob was in it. Here you see him, silly fellow, underneath his red umbrella. What a wind! Oh, how it whistles! Through no. the trees and flowers and thistles. It has caught his red umbrella. Now look at him, silly fellow. Up he flies to the skies. No one heard his screams or cries. <laughs> Through the clouds, the rude wind bore him, and his hat flew on before him. Soon they got to such a height, they were nearly out of sight. And the hat went up so high that it nearly touched the sky. No one ever yet could tell where they stopped or where they fell. Oh, my God. Only this one thing is plain. Bob was never seen again. End quote. <laughs> if I heard that as a kid, I... I would, shouldn't be so funny. But I would oh never go out in the rain, ever. So would be like, don't worry, take your umbrella. No, Mom! <laughs> Thanks for the agoraphobia. I don't want an umbrella. I'm going to die. <laughs> At the time he began writing the book to give to his son, Heinrich was working two jobs as a doctor in the Frankfurt Insane Asylum, even though he hadn't studied psychiatry and at his private practice. He also taught anatomy at the Senckenberg Foundation. I hate it. I hate it so much. It sounds like the VA. People who aren't qualified to give meds, giving meds. Ouch. Or your local, your local clinic. Yeah. During his time at the Frankfurt Asylum, he spent a majority of 1851 campaigning for a modern asylum with gardens. His campaign was a success, and a new building was constructed where Frankfurt University's humanities campus is located today. The original building was demolished in the 1920s. Oh, I so, would, 
a German building going down in the, t- in the 1920s. Whoops. One of the wars. Yep. One of those wars. Heinrich never set out to be a publisher of poems and satires until a friend of his, who was a publisher, persuaded him to do so in 1845, a year after he gave the handmade copy to his son, Carl. Aw, so he got the first one. Mm -hmm. And Ed got nothing. (laughs) You can have this printed one that I had nothing to do with, Edward. (laughs) Ed gets nothing. just got hit with the book before it came here you go happy birthday (laughs) the printed piece which was released under the title struvelpeter quickly gained in popularity and was reprinted several times with the first run including hand colored original illustrations by heinrich himself oh the first tale i'm going to share with you is that of cruel frederick great Wait for this. Uh, Quote, Here is cruel Frederick, see? A horrid, wicked boy was he. He caught the flies, poor little things, and then tore off their tiny wings. He killed the birds and broke the chairs and threw the kitten down the stairs. Mm -hmm. And oh, far worse than all beside, he whipped his Mary till she cried. The trough was full and faithful Trey came out to drink one sultry day. He wagged his tail and wet his lip when cruel Fred snatched up a whip and whipped poor Trey till he was sore and kicked and whipped him more and more. At this, good Trey grew very red and growled and bit him till he bled. Then you should only have been by to see how Fred did scream and cry. So Frederick had to go to bed. His leg was very sore and red. The doctor came and shook his head and made a very great to-do, and gave him nasty psychic, too. Oh, but good dog Trey is happy now. He has no time <laughs> to say, bow, wow. He seats himself in Frederick's chair, and laughs to see the nice things there. The soup he swallows, sup by sup, and eats the pies and puddings up. End quote. So you can beat your kids, just don't hit the dog? <laughs> yep. Okay. Because yep. the dog will get you. Yeah. That's dog get you moral and then and then he will become sentient <laughs> and have better manners have than a, you have a taste for pudding mm-hmm. great yeah. the second story was the dreadful story of harriet and the matches arson oh my god yeah so much arson oh my god it's gonna be great <laughs> quote it almost makes me cry to tell what foolish harriet befell Mama and nurse went out one day and left her all alone at play. Now on the table close at hand, a box of matches chanced to stand. And kind mama and nurse had told her that if she touched them, they would scold her. But Harriet said, oh, what a pity, for when they burn, it is so pretty. They crackle so and spit and flame. Mama, too, often does the same. She, okay. The pussycats heard this, and they began to hiss, and stretch their claws, and raise their paws. Meow, they said. Meow, meow. You'll burn to death if you do so. But Harriet (laughs) would not take advice. She lit a match. It was so nice. Stupid cat. It it crackled so. It burned so clear. Exactly like the picture here. 
She jumped for joy and ran about, and was too pleased to put it out. The pussycat saw this and said, Oh, naughty, naughty miss, and stretched their claws and raised their paws. Tis very, very wrong, you know. Meow, 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 meow. You will be burnt if you do so. And see, oh, what dreadful thing. The fire has caught her apron string. Her apron burns, her arms, her hair. She burns all over everywhere. Then how the pussy cats did mew. What else, poor pussies, could they do? They screamed for help. Twas all in vain. So then they said, we'll scream again. Make haste, make haste. Meow, meow. She'll burn to death. We told her so. So she was burnt with all her clothes and arms and hands and eyes and nose till she had nothing more to lose except her little scarlet shoes and nothing else but these was found among her ashes on the ground. And when the good cat sat beside the smoking ashes, how they cried, meow, 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 meow. What will mama and nursey do? Their tears ran down their cheeks so fast. They make a little pond at last. End quote. Their tears could have saved her. <laughs> if only they would have cried faster. <laughs> Cry cute cat. That's why I don't cry no guard cats. That's they... horrific. So essentially, because her shoes were still there, is that like spontaneous combustion? Nothing else caught fire. Spontaneous stupidity. That's what it was. It's just like, <laughs> pretty... She's like, oh my god, my mom likes these all the time. You know, and she's a spitfire. Do you think she she was hallucinating from the lack of oxygen when the cat was like, don't do that? (laughs) We'll never know. We could ask her ashes, but, you know, we'll never know. (laughs) The first run included 1,500 copies, although there is speculation that there were as many as 3,000, and that they sold out within the span of two years. Prior to the second round of printing, the illustrations were touched up and the cover was altered to that of Strovelpeter, who was front and center. Mm. More stories were also added to the later editions. By 1848, the book was already enjoying its sixth run and had sold more than 20,000 copies. As you'll soon oh. learn, one of the antiheroes in the story, Little Suckathumb, would go on to inspire a cult classic character. I want to see if you can guess who it is. Quote. Mickey Mouse. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) One day, Mama said, Conrad, dear, I must go out and leave you here. But mind now, Conrad, what I say. Don't suck your thumb while I'm away. The great tall tailor always comes. To little boys who suck their thumbs, and ere they dream what he's about, he takes his great sharp scissors out and cuts their thumbs clean off, and then, you know, they never grow again. What? There's more. Mama had scarcely turned her back. The thumb was in. Alack! Alack! The door flew open. In he ran. The great long red-legged scissor man. What? Oh, children, see the tailors come and caught out little suck-a-thumb. Snip, snap, snip, the scissors go. And Conrad cries out, oh, oh, oh. Snip, snap, snip. They go so fast. 
that both his thumbs are off at last. Mama comes home, there Conrad stands, and looks quite sad and shows his hands. Ah, said Mama, I knew he'd come to naughty little suck a thumb. End quote. I don't know, the Aflac duck? <laughs> like, who did inspire Edward Scissorhands? Can can the Johnny Depp version go, <laughs> before, he starts Alec, cutting, Alec, Alec. before he starts his next masterpiece? <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it in the mic. I don't want to. <sighs> wow. Okay. <laughs> put your thumb in your mouth so the door gets kicked down this guy with red boots and scissors comes charging at you i want you after this to look up illustrations because the scissors are like as big as probably the like sword that guy carried around the hundred pound broad the hundred sword. broad sword just scissors just and the kid's like oh you'll, ne- you'll never drink coffee now <laughs> can't hold it without thumbs <laughs> conrad so the bulk of the tales center around naughty children mm-hmm. but in one story it involves a foolish hunter and a rabbit titled the story of the man that went out shooting elmer fudd yeah this one sounds like elmer fudd and um bugs bunny you think it actually <laughs> inspired it maybe i think so i'll show you the illustrations later but it it does Ooh. okay quote This is the man that shoots the hares. This is the coat he always wears. With game bag, powder horn, and gun, he's going out to have some fun. He finds it hard without a pair of spectacles to shoot the hare. The hare sits snug in leaves and grass and laughs to see the green man pass. Now as the sun grew very hot and he a heavy gun had got, he lay down underneath a tree and went to sleep, as you may see. And while he slept like any top, the little hare came, hop, 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 took gun and spectacles, and then, on her hind legs, went off again. The green man wakes and sees her place, and spectacles upon her face. <laughs> and now she's trying all she can to shoot the sleepy green coat man. He cries and screams and runs away. The hare runs after him all day. And hears him call out everywhere, help, fire, help, the hare, the hare. <laughs> I love that we too, if you're getting going to get shot, you have to yell fire because nobody else is going to come unless there's a fire. It didn't help Harriet, but you know, whatever. There weren't any pussycats around to help. The pussycats were there and they're like, listen, you didn't. You didn't explicitly say fire. This is on you, dude. It's out of our paws. I can't do anything. (laughs) At last, he stumbled at the well, head over ears, and in he fell. The hare stopped short, took aim, and hark. Bang went the gun. She missed her mark. The poor man's wife was drinking up her coffee in her coffee cup. No, her cerebral spinal fluid. (laughs) She's going to lose it all. <laughs> Two poor victims oh, in this no. story. The Europeans and their cerebral spinal fluid. The gunshot cup and saucer through. Oh dear, cried she. What shall I do? There lived close by the cottage there. The hare's own child, the little hare. And while she stood upon her toes, the coffee fell and burned her nose. 
Oh dear, she cried with spoon in hand. Such fun I do not understand. End quote. That's how it ends. <laughs> That's how it ends. So we don't, what the hell? So we don't know if he died. He fell in a well. <laughs> I mean... Couple broken legs. <laughs> he's, he's just mangled at the bottom of the well. And Hell, a fire! And a scalded by coffee and glass. Porcelain. Oh, <laughs> like porcelain that just like drops oh. down. <laughs> oh no, that's so fun. Why is that why is that bunny wearing glasses? <laughs> and holding a gun. That's crazy. <laughs> Good thing they don't have any powder. This next story would definitely not be PC or printed today, and that's the story of the Inky Boys. I think you kind of know where I'm going with this one. Uh, I don't know. Quote, as he had often done before, the woolly black-headed blackamoor, one nice fine summer's day went out to see the shops and walk about. And as he found it hot, poor fellow, he took with him his green umbrella. Not the umbrellas. Then Edward, little noisy wag, ran out and laughed and waved his flag. And William came in jacket trim and brought his wooden hoop with him. And Arthur, too, snatched up his toys and joined the other naughty boys. So one and all set up a roar and laughed and hooted more and more and kept on singing, Only think, oh, Blackie, you're as black as ink. Now tall Agrippa lived close by, so tall he almost touched the sky. He had a mighty ink stand, too in which a great goose feather grew. He called out in an angry tone, Boys, leave the blackamoor alone, for if he tries with all his might, he cannot change from black to white. Gross. But ah, they did not mind a bit what great Agrippa said of it, but went on laughing as before and hooting at the blackamoor. Then great Agrippa foams with rage. Look at him on this very page. He seizes Arthur, seizes Ned, takes William by his little head, and they may scream and kick and call. Into the ink he dips them all. Into the inkstand, one, two, three, till they are black as black can be. Turn over now, and you shall see. See, there they are, and there they run. The blackamoor enjoys the fun. They have been made as black as crows, quite black all over, eyes and nose, and legs and arms and heads and toes, and trousers, pinafores, and toys. The silly little inky boys, because they set up such a roar and teased the harmless blackamoor. End quote. That honestly sounds like a scene from a Quentin Tarantino movie, doesn't it? Like, kind of? Like the kid, he was just having a good time. He gets some horrible racist taunting and then he straight up gives him some justice. It makes me think of, um, what is it, Inglorious Bastards with yeah. like, the big guy? Mm-hmm. It reminded That's me of a weird story to put in. Yeah. Of all the other ones. Sorry, sorry that Kona's barking in the background. It reminds me of um Little Black Sambo. Sambo? Oh uh, yeah. Anyway. Hmm. Following the success of this first book, he wrote more, such as King Nutcracker, In Heaven and on Earth, Bastion the Lazy Bones, <laughs> and Prince Grunwald and Perlenfine. I did not translate those. Okay. He also wrote several satires and comics aimed at adults instead of children. His works largely threw shade at religion, philosophy, and politics. Okay. And he was like, y'all are dumb. <laughs> and also, I can draw, and I am a doctor. 
Did I mention I'm a doctor? Of surgery, not of psychiatry. Let's just uh, right put that out there. Gross. Heinrich was a good dude who believed in a constitutional monarchy. He was active with the Vor Parliament, or the first freely elected parliament in German states, mm-hmm. including Hungary and Austria. And even after joining the Freemasons, he left once he learned that they refused to allow Jews to become members. Good for him. He was like, yeah, fuck you guys. It's still pretty messed up, though. Yeah. With his, uh... Yeah. These stories. <laughs> yeah. Heinrich passed away on September 20th, 1894, at the age of 85 in Frankfurt. He was survived by his wife and two of his children. His oldest, Carl, passed away in 1868 at the age of 27. Oh. So, yeah. Ed survived. Edward survived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one that they were like, you don't get a middle name. Good old Ed. Good old Ed. I hope he, I hope he got all those the royalties. royalty checks from inventing Bugs Bunny. One would hope. They probably did. They didn't. They didn't. That's not a thing. They probably didn't. Not a thing. <laughs> Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Yield Crime Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. On TikTok, of course you are. Follow us at Yield Crime Podcast. I think this went pretty well. Yeah. And thank you for everyone that showed up. It's more people than I thought were actually going to uh, come. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy and pleased and before we go what's something good you like to share okay so you remember how i mentioned the yoga swing Mm -hmm. we put it up and it was too high oh no and i couldn't get into it and i tried so hard we have you need a step stool for your yoga yoga sweater and i got into it and i got scared too high so i had to ask my fiance to help me figure out how to bring it down and he did and so now it's like a reasonable hype for me and i've been using it and like more often than actually using it for yoga purposes i use it as a swing in my house (laughs) i swing it like a small child it's so nice to do at the end of the day so yeah it's really great and i love it and thank you to my fiance for helping me actually get it to work because i was so excited and then so incredibly disappointed when it was so high because i was like i can hoist myself up and i just had surgery i cannot hoist myself up after having surgery no so yeah but it's all good now, and I can use it, and it's awesome. Yeah. What about you? What's something good? I am grateful that we will be planting a tree on Tuesday for Girl Scouts. Nice. We're going to be planting a tree at the elementary school. So that'll be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's how we're going to be planting it. We're going to plant a sugar maple. Nice. Those are pretty. Yeah. And Super nice. I think the girls will have fun. Yeah. You should make sure during the first couple of years... That birds don't break the branches by putting their fat butts in it. This is an anti-bird podcast. I'll say it again. (laughs) What are birds? The tree we planted for Rufus, some of the branches broke because these big old 
crows wanted mm. to sit in it. And they were like, Meow! and then like broke the branch. Broke so be careful branches. of that. And uh, boogs. boogs. I thought you it. said boobs for a second, but you said boogs. Boogs eating it. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Crampboard segments. Well, thank you again, everyone who tuned in. It was so nice seeing you here. I don't know when we'll do this again, but next time it'll probably be on YouTube because apparently Instagram hates everything that we use. So Sounds about right. Yeah. Instagram hates us. (laughs) But on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime.